0: This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Whitney Livingston. Whitney is the president of Centennial. She's been in the retail real estate industry for 20 years. I'm excited for her to be here. Welcome to the show, Whitney.
1: Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, uh, I love that chandelier in your background. That's very Joanna Gaines. We have one similar. <laughs> um,
1: it is very Joanna Gaines, and I'm in Dallas, so you know, right near Waco.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, Whitney, tell everybody a little bit more about who you are, what you do.
1: Sure. Uh, so, uh. Whitney Livingston, as Chris mentioned, I'm the president of Centennial Real Estate. We're a national owner, operator, and developer of retail and mixed-use projects based here in Dallas. Uh, As you mentioned, I started almost 20 years ago uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, working as a marketing coordinator for a mall and have grown throughout the industry. I moved to Dallas about 13 years ago with my husband, and we now have three kids here. And spend quite a bit of time on an American Airlines flight or in the lounge, traveling to our projects and, uh, and loving the real estate business.
0: Amazing. Okay. I want to get us started with a section we call clear the air. I have a couple questions for you about you. Are you ready?
1: I don't know, but yes, I, I okay. will be when you ask them.
0: Okay. Question one, what is one skill you don't possess, but wish you did?
1: One skill I don't possess, but wish I did um, I do not love conflict uh I am someone that just i i do believe directness is kindness um but I'm not super comfortable in contentious situations, which some might say real estate's probably not the right business for me, but luckily, I'm not at leasing um so I would say just being really comfortable in um in contentious conversations uh, would be a skill that, that I'd like to possess. It's one I work on on a daily basis, um, but, but not one I've mastered.
0: Understood. We can talk about that offline for sure. I could go into <laughs> tangents about that. Uh, question two. What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? Oh,
1: my gosh. This one is hard. Uh, one thing that uh, most people, many people agree with, but I do not, I don't really believe in fate. I am someone that believes that you create your own paths and your decisions lead you in different directions. And I don't know that I think there's an, you know, an end point for anyone and you'll just find your way there. I think you can control, um, you know, your path based on the decisions that you make, good or bad.
0: I love that. So that being said, that kind of lead, that was a good lead in for me, whether you know it or okay. not. Uh, that, that's a good lead in for me. In, I would say in our industry, you started as a, a marketing coordinator at a property and, and you have risen through the ranks at multiple companies in the industry uh, to the role you're in today. And it's a big role you're present. How many people are employees, associates are at Centennial?
1: About 325.
0: So, you know, uh, part of running a company of 325 people. how What are the decisions you made along the way, not relying on fate, that led you to where you are?
1: Um well the first one is um I am a huge believer in raising your hand. Um you know there used to be a saying in our business uh and frankly to ICSE's foundations credit uh I think like, I would say this doesn't necessarily exist anymore but there used to be a saying that was you you were either born into this business or you stumbled upon it. And I am definitely in the latter category. Um right. I did not have a business degree, I did not have a finance degree. Uh, I had a, a marketing and psychology degree, um, and liked shopping, liked going to malls and decided one day to move to San Francisco and got a job sight unseen through monster.com. Um, if you remember that website, uh, as the marketing coordinator at a mall, uh, and I'm pretty sure I thought it was great that I was going to get discounts at retailers, uh, and um, and so, but from there, immediately getting into the business, loving it, loving the versatility of the business, um, and from there, just raising my hand at every opportunity to try something different um, and just being really dedicated to doing it exceptionally well, uh, regardless of whether I knew what all the acronyms were or what the process was. Uh, and um, so, yeah. So, I would say raising my hand. I mean, I've I worked in I've pretty much worked in every department in our business, with the exception of leasing. Uh, back to my uh, lack of negotiation skills. Um, so, or comfort in negotiation. Uh, so, um, so I think raising my hand. And then the other thing I would say is just um, also not being afraid of being vulnerable and not knowing things and asking questions. Um, this has traditionally been an industry where, um, you know, you, again, because of it's a generational business, um, you know, it, it wasn't always cool or okay to not know the answer. And I was very lucky to have mentors and managers that were really willing to invest the time in me that when I had questions and was willing to, to ask them, um, they took the time to, to teach me. And that made a huge difference. And frankly, is also the type of manager that I am now as a result.
0: That's great. Did, is there, well, I'm going to save that question. So you, you come from the marketing background. What was it about this industry that said, I want to be deeper in that industry versus what might call just the marketing industry?
1: Sure. Um. Honestly, it was the people. Uh, I just immediately um, met so many great people in San Francisco that were in this industry through, you know, local uh, ICSE events and Next Gen events. Uh, this was in the you know early two thousands and just started creating relationships and, you know, Chris, I mean, this is obviously a relationship driven business. Um, and so working with great people, um, and also frankly, not being pigeonholed just in marketing, being able to see, see the field, if you will, and be involved in other development and asset management and project management, uh, and much to my marketing department's chagrin today, I still like to consider myself a recovering marketing manager. Um, And because I love the creative side of the business. Um, But for for sure, um, the fact that you had uh, so much access to other parts of the business um, was really interesting to me.
0: Got it. Along the way, were there any pivotal points where you were like, all right, this was like a career defining moment for me that that has that really propelled you?
1: Um. There's probably two. One, um, I invested my first significant bonus in an executive coach. And I was in my late 20s. Um, and trying to figure out what my path was, I had found myself in a place of being a generalist. I had a couple years in marketing, a couple years in asset management, a couple years in project management and development, and was really trying to figure out you know, if I was um, what I was a specialist in, if you will. And um, so that was an incredible experience. I've, I've actually never stopped having a coach. I've had different ones since then based on different points of my career, but having someone to really help me focus on me and what I needed to do better or what I needed to learn um uh was was uh one of the best decisions that I made uh again in my in my mid to late twenties. Um and then so, I see the second piece. So, was, can you give? Yeah,
0: go I'm, I'm going to give. Uh, I don't mean to get too personal. Can you give, like, to someone who's listening in their mid to late 20s, how much dollars that was that you took out of your own pocket and, like, put into your career? How much did you spend on an executive coach
1: yeah, at that it time? Yeah, um, it was probably 20 grand, 20, 25 grand.
0: So that. And probably at that time, pretty sizable percentage of your total income, 20 grand. So I think that's like probably striking to a lot of the people in listening right now that because I think there's this thought like, and and I'm not saying companies shouldn't, but there might be a thought that the company should sure. pay for that. But you were just like, I'm going to invest in myself. This is where I want to go. This seems like a lot of money, but I'm going to dive in and I'm going to I'm going to do this.
1: Yeah. Well, also the benefit to me paying for it, I was I was not only, you know, fiscally uh, invested in it. I was personally, mentally invested in it, you know, um, emotionally invested in it. Uh, And um, I also wanted it to be for me. Like if the company was paying for it, it was how am I a better employee or what can I do better for the company? I wanted it to be about, you know, about Whitney. And we spent a lot of time on, you know, not only just what did I need to learn to be a better professional down the road, whether it was taking finance classes that I didn't take in college or, um, but it was also personal branding. And what do I need to be doing to build a brand in the industry that's authentic to who I am? Um, and that will ultimately help me get, you know, navigate through my career to, you know, where, wherever I wanted to be. And at the time, I didn't even know where that was. Um, so, um, So yeah, I mean it's it's been a process, and like I said, I've I've never not had one since then, and still paying for it.
0: (laughs) And well, I imagine they're pricier today for the ones you're doing in inflation. A a little bit. (laughs) Yes. So, what was career-defining moment number two? You said two.
1: Um. So I was at Madison Marquette for about thirteen years. Um. And. About seven years into my time there, the company was going from being a regionally organized company to a national platform. So for the first six years that I was there, every region had a president, every region had a head of leasing, head of marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so when they were moving to a national structure um, and there were four regions, there was going to be one president and one head of leasing and one head of marketing. And so the president came to me and offered me a job to be the head of property management. And the irony was I had never managed a property. Um, and I remember, and I knew him well, uh, I had worked for him in the regional office. He had been a great mentor to me. Um, and he just said, well, wait, you're a problem solver. You'll figure it out. Um, you don't need to know how to calculate a cam recovery or, you know, what the SOP is today, but you need to organize teams, and you need to understand the risk management of the business and the experience we want to deliver at our properties, and then you need to motivate the property teams and the regional teams to to execute. And so, I think for me, it was a time where I never would have had the confidence in myself, um, just strictly based on the words on the paper. I was I didn't know property management, um, so how could I? run a national organization of 20 million square feet of, you know, property management professionals. Um, so I think it, he gave me the confidence that I, you know, needed. Um, and it was something that in going into any new situation now, um, you know, there's there's not going to be anyone going into the room that's that's more confident in what I can do than myself.
0: Woo! All right. Uh, love that. Uh, so... I love that story uh, because it connects a little bit. My uh, head of property management, our senior vice president of property management, he was um, a director of asset management for a few years. We moved him into this. Mm-hmm. He had never managed a property before. He's doing yeah. great. Uh, and, um, you know, I would, a lot of the same thoughts you had was, was in his, coming from asset management, a little, um, you know, he had some of the, a lot of the financial background, but sure. you know, not a lot about on the facilities portion for sure and yeah. one of our property managers in our industry are definitely facilities experts, um, sure. right? So uh, learned a lot now he's, uh, you know, I would call him a facilities expert, even though he hasn't done it. He's, he's got his arms around what's going on. So you took on this role in this new section of the business and you were leading people and there's a lot like, you know, you got to command respect. I'm sure there's people out there like, Oh my God, I've been doing this for 25 years. This person's Mm -hmm. never done it. Talk me through how you got through that. Cause I wasn't there Madison Marquette, but I know there was some people there who were like, wait a second, I've been running properties for 20 years. This person, what is this person going to help me with?
1: Yeah, well, you know, add to that, I I didn't have any property management uh experience. I think I might have been thirty, and I was female in a you know male dominated sector of our industry of property management. Right? Not easy. Um, it was not easy. Um, it had to get worse before it got better. Um, because I had to earn respect. And I frankly, I think that was probably another really pivotal part of my career was learning that being respected was more important than being liked. And, you know, we all kind of grow up, grow up thinking, you know, being liked is really important. Um, And I do still think being liked is important for the right reasons. But in business, it was more important that I was respected by these people that were going to be on my team or the people that were on the team of the people that were going to report to me. And so, um, so you know, there were definitely some difficult conversations. Um, but first and foremost, I was present um, and accessible. And I would walk the properties and I would ask questions and I would acknowledge that I didn't know all the answers, but I was going to be a part of the solution with them. And it resonated for some people and for the people that it, that it didn't, they, they moved on. Um, and, you know, candidly, we built an incredible team, um, you know, that now I, I call my friends and some, frankly, that were probably the biggest naysayers at the time. Uh, and, um, so it was a, it was a really interesting process to be a part of, um, but it, it was not without its, uh, its difficult moments. And I think just building trust and respect was, you know, most important.
0: So trust, respect, I, I heard there's some vulnerability because you were like, I don't yeah. know this and and presence and being accessible. Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And so you move on from that and, and then you end up at Centennial. So tell me about that process and now where you are at Centennial and what what yeah. your world looks like today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Centennial is a 25-year-old firm uh, started by our founder, Uh Stephen Levin, who's our CEO. And, um, and so Stephen and I started talking probably about nine months before I actually joined. And he was creating a new role as the COO. He had never had one. He was focused on growth. We were a small firm at the time. We were 9 million square feet, I think 80 employees. Um, and this was in late 20, 2018. Um, and uh, we had always been an owner of our real estate. Um, and so we were not in the third party side of the business. Um, and, and so we spent a lot of time getting to know each other and, um, and ultimately I took the leap, um, and joined him here in Dallas. And as I mentioned, you know, I spend a lot of time on airline flights today, but I was commuting back and forth to San Francisco and DC when I was living in Dallas, working for Madison Marquette. So. being able to have some roots in the, uh, in the city where I lived. And as a mom of three small kids at the time, um, three bigger kids now, um, that, you know, that was important to me. Um, and so, um, we were focused on two things, executing on what we had, um, which was a growing development business that we had never planned on. We like many mall owners had bought projects and, Strong markets with great cash flow, and our plan was just to improve the merchandising and increase the cash flow. And we started seeing the demise of the department store, the rise of ecom, you know uh, small shop tenant uh, closings, and very quickly realized we had to pivot our business and all of a sudden found ourselves in the development business. Um, and so we had to execute on what we had and we had to figure out how to parlay, that strong execution into growth. Um, and so, you know, sprinkle a pandemic in the middle of that. Um, we did ultimately, uh, move into the third party business in 2020. Um, and then most recently acquired a, uh, platform operating platform, uh, formerly called bear properties, um, which was, a. Primarily, developer, operator, owner of lifestyle projects, uh, open air projects, which became really important for us relative to our development projects, which would all include an open air component. And so, um, we have spent the last, I guess, seven months uh, integrating those two firms, um, and still have a ways to go. Uh, but it's been a it's been a really exciting almost five years at Centennial, um, and uh, looking forward to many, many more.
0: So, a a million questions, but I'm gonna try to cut them down. So one, you've mentioned a couple of times, you're on a plane all the time, and so I travel a lot. I think it's interesting, what are you doing in your travels? Why are you on a plane all the time?
1: well, I'm a real estate junkie. I, I love- So when you're going
0: and you're going to the property, what are you doing? Why, and why is it important for you to do it?
1: Uh, lots of things. Looking at new, new acquisitions. Okay. Uh, I, was in, I was looking at a project yesterday in a new market. I came home like geeking out. My husband was like, you look like you've had a great day. And I, I left in the morning. I spent the whole day in market. It was a market I wasn't really familiar with. So I got to learn a bunch of new stuff, saw the projects, saw the competing centers, drafted a memo on the flight home about the property. um, And, you know, uh, it's all about the real estate. So that was really fun. So seeing new acquisitions, meeting with clients, meeting with capital partners, um, seeing our existing projects and spending time with our teams, which is a big part of something I'm really passionate about is... um, you know, staying connected to the, the people that frankly uh, do all the hard work every day. Um, and, you know, going back to those two key priorities of executing on what we have and parlaying that into growth without those people, we can't do either. So, um, so it's a mix of things, going to, you know, conferences and board meetings. Um, so, yeah.
0: Okay. And, and, and something else you touched on. Mom of, this is a generic question, but I'm so curious. Sure. Mom of three, president of a company, 325 people, corporate executive. How do you get the work-life balance continuum in there?
1: Um, someone recently in our company said something like, well, Whitney responds to emails like 24-7. And an executive responded to that individual and said, Whitney is not the model employee. Uh mm. And I'm, I'm probably not like work-life balance is something that I definitely, um, work on every day. I mean, I will tell you, we, you know, it takes a village. We're really lucky that we have a lot of help here in Dallas with family and friends and carpools. And, um, and so it works for us, but, but work-life balance is something that I think is really important. I think it's going to become even more important as our industry continues to diversify. Um, and I think it's something that deck executives myself included have to have to um, be better examples up so it's 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 on the 2023 goals
0: <laughs> yeah the support one thing I always tell people is so I'm a little bit in the same vein from a a heart, uh, working uh, being on all the time but have a very good support system outside of work between Mm -hmm. family, my wife, um, my in-laws and a whole bunch of others that help keep the wheels moving. Uh, Without that, it would be, you know, my life would be different. It would be a challenge, so. Yeah. Uh, So, okay. Thank you for sharing your story and all that about you and what's going on at Centennial, really interesting. Uh, what's your take? What's going on in the industry right now in your, in your eyes? What's your take? What's going on? What are you seeing out there? It's,
1: it's really easy. Um, I love that easy to buy projects, financing, super simple. Um, uh, yeah, no, I wish, um, look, it's, you know, I'm gonna move away from like the macroeconomic side of the business, and I would just tell you, I think it's one of the most exciting times in our, in my career uh, in retail real estate. So, in for me, um, we are at a you know a silver lining. I hate to say it, but if we have to find one of what we went through in 2020 and 2021 as an industry, I think we are finally in a place as a business that is willing to look at things differently and we don't have to just do things the way that they had been done previously we don't have to just build malls with a ring road and four anchors and way too much gla in the middle because and stamp that across the you know the country um you know i think we've seen a lot in the last couple of years about embracing e-com and omnichannel retailing and the halo effect and you know, I don't know that ten years ago in our business we were as open to change and creativity in the way that we are today. And I think our business will be better for it. I think it makes it more exciting, um, and I think it creates a lot more opportunity. Um, and you know, on the flip side, I get it. That's a little Pollyanna considering where we are in the the greater economic climate. But um, but I think it's a really important shift in our business that over the next couple of years will be better for?
0: I think, so said a lot there, I think, I think for sure, I think the, what I'd add to it is, I think that the market is actually giving us a moment in time to do that. In particular, if I was going to give one macro thing, I think the the, the challenge to build new construction today mm. is giving us the ability to reimagine and maybe not do things how they were. Um, yeah. So, I, I agree, and I think uh, we're at a point in time where we can do that. I the challenge I see though on it is we're slower moving than other industries when it mm. comes to reimagining. I think we're mm-hmm. getting faster as an industry, but we're slower moving and it's, and and there's roadblocks in the way and it's tough to, we're trying to satisfy a demand today that sometimes we can't deliver to the market for like three yeah. or four years, you know, so.
1: Yeah, and then who knows if the demand is still there. Exactly, and then who knows if it's yeah. still
0: there, right? It's not like we're, we're, we're coming out with a widget on a hot trend that's out yeah. today. Yeah,
1: know? no,
0: it's a great point. So, uh, Anything else about you're seeing in the market? Anything interesting that uh, you're seeing out there from your vantage point? Anything? Um, what excites you?
1: Oh, uh, uh, what excites me is you know, look, disruption breeds opportunity, right? So we've, I mean, our industry has been in a state of disruption for the last, I don't know, what ten years, um, and. Know, I think we've finally pushed off the bottom of the pool, if you will. And um, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the next couple of years to buy at the right basis, um, which has not typically been the case um, uh, for certain product types in retail real estate. And, you know, we all make money on the buy, right? So hopefully, um, uh, for those that, that can take advantage of, of that opportunity. I think there's really great things to come and I'm, I'm excited about that.
0: Excellent. <clears throat> With that, Whitney, I'm conscious of time. I want to take us to the last part of the show. I call this retail wisdom. I've got three questions for you. Are you ready? Ready. Question one, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead?
1: Um, okay. I'm going to go way back. Way back. Uh, Do you remember the limited? Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I mean, I think something great about retail is the nostalgia associated with it. Right. Like I don't, I don't have any um, feelings when I'm ordering something on Amazon, but like, I remember getting my first business suits uh, at the limited. I remember buying a, you know, New Year's Eve dress there for you know a friend's 18th birthday. Like I, um, so and it was a it was a real it was a true merchant um, in its heyday. I recognize that that changed a little towards the end, or significantly towards the end. But I just personally have great memories of it, and uh, and I think that's one of the real benefits of the brick and mortar experience.
0: Love the answer. Totally agree. Question two. What's the last item over twenty dollars you bought in a store?
1: Um, the last item I'm not going to admit because there's a very good chance my husband is going to listen to this podcast. And yeah. while I was uh, doing some some canvassing yesterday on my tour, uh, I might have found some uh, some cashmere sweaters that made it mm-hmm. in my purse on the way home. Uh, so, uh, but I, I love to shop in stores. I mean, uh, I'm, I understand there's a place for e-com and I get necessities, um, through e-com for convenience, but when it comes to true shopping, uh, I, you'll, you'll always find me in the store.
0: <clears throat> there's, I actually, I, so I'll take cashmere sweaters. Sorry, Mr. Livingston. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh,
1: I did not say the brand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Touche. There there is a place. I I will say this. I interviewed this guy, Dean Salakis, in 2021. And I asked him the same question. What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? And he was an e-commerce. He had one physical store, two physical stores. But he was the largest online party store in Australia. And he had he was one of the first like in like worldwide, like really online, um, online retailers. He's like a really a savant with Google SEO and like online marketing. And so I asked him that, and he said that e-commerce is gonna continue to grow. He's like, I think we're at a saturation point with e-com. And I said, Really? And he goes, you know, if I, I don't, he's like I don't know what's going to, if it's not 5G or 4Gs, like I can't envision in 5, 10, 20 years what the next thing is going to be that's going to make that grow even bigger. Mm-hmm. And so you see all these reports that like, oh, it's going to grow to 25%, 30%. And I just today posted the clip of me interviewing him and answering that and then looked mm-hmm. back to the e-commerce as a percentage of total retail sales. And for the last five quarters, it's been like 14.5%. I was yeah. like, so found it. Super interesting. Anyway, last question. Okay. Winnie, if you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? Okay,
1: so um, mom with me, you would find me in the grocery section. I have three three boys, seven, eight, and eleven. They uh, they're eaters, eat mounds of food. <laughs> um, so uh, that's just like the go the go to is uh, Super Target. Uh is the grocery section. Uh if for some reason I found myself with 20 minutes, uh hasn't happened in a long time and I walked into a target. Uh you'd probably find me in uh in home furnishings, um, just browsing.
0: Excellent. Well, uh my wife would be as well. So
1: <laughs> I'll see her there. If, I, I suspect your wife doesn't have 23 minutes either, Chris.
0: Uh for sure. So with that said, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate the time and thank uh thanks for having me. Let's if we're, we're not on the same flight somewhere, let's get connected in Vegas.
1: Yeah, for sure. Sounds great. Have a good one.
0: You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retail retold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to retail retold. So you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.